welcome guys and gals to the Man Talks podcast. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. The mission of Man Talks and the mission of this podcast is to help develop self-aware, high-performing, and impactful men in the world. Men that you want to be with, men you want to surround yourself with, and the men that you ultimately want to be. So in order to accomplish on that mission today, we have a human connection specialist by the name of Mr. Mark Groves. Mark is actually a friend of mine. And uh, Mark Groves is, is a, how would you describe him? He's, he's an emotional translator. He's a writer. He's a speaker. And ultimately, he's a coach. Uh, his clients range from businesses and leaders to couples and individuals. And he really specializes in helping each person understand their internal emotional matrix by mastering themselves through their words. He basically takes what you think and you you think you want and finds out exactly what it is that you want and gives you the tools in order to achieve your goals. So he's always wondered what separated people with amazing relationships from those who have just average relationships. And you know, why why do some relationships maintain bliss for a lifetime and others crumble and fall apart after a few months or a few years? So he's done some incredible research. He's been working with couples for a long time. He's got a, you know, a cert- certification in positive psychology. And on today's podcast episode, we talk about a lot of things revolving around relationships. We talk about communication between men and women, understanding and sort of translating the opposite sex. So whether you're a man or a woman, this is definitely a podcast episode you want to tune into. And what I would actually recommend is that this is the type of podcast episode that you should be listening to with your partner about. Uh, We dive into things like pornography, expanding and deepening intimacy, and really understanding uh, the complexities of an intimate relationship and how to navigate those waters. So uh, before I bring Mark on, I just want to remind all the guys here to go and check out the Man Talks community on Facebook. We have some incredible conversations there. It's totally free. Uh, we've got almost a thousand members now in that community. And it's really a place where where you guys can go and share some of your challenges, your victories, share your insights, and learn from one another. We have people posting all the time, uh, sharing valuable content and, and resources around relationships, around business, around finances. Go check it out. Go on over and uh, and join in and we'll, we'll add you in. And for everybody else, go check out, if you don't want to join the community, go check out Facebook, Man Talks uh, on Facebook or mantalks.com for more blog posts, more podcast episodes, and of course, some of the live videos from our talks around North America, which are going live on YouTube as we speak. So don't miss out on those. Mark's talk from a recent event is actually live uh, on our YouTube channel, and it is incredible. So it's really, really funny. So go check that out as well. All right. So today uh, we are going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about connection, and we're going to dive in a little bit to some sex and intimacy. But well, maybe we'll leave the the, the juicy parts for last. The uh, sex isn't always penetration. Yeah, sex isn't. It's not. No. Oh. Then what do you tell like two females? I mean, they can. <laughs> shit almost got very real there uh okay so so let's let's just start so you you have a an account called create the love and you talk a lot about human connection 
and you, 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 I think on your LinkedIn it says human connection expert or specialist, and really you help people understand themselves better so they can connect with other people, whether it's friendships, whether it's their their intimate relationships or at work. Is that does that like an apt description of what you do? Yeah, like my primary motivator, or I guess the thing that sort of drew me into it first, I mean, I was in sales and I was working in businesses, so there was that relevance. But it was like seeing that really our ability to connect gets magnified in romantic relationships, that like our skill set can be great when we're not in the stressful situations. Mm. But when we're in stress, which when love hit, you know, is entered into an agreement or a relationship, it often brings up so much more stuff, but stuff that's still present within workplaces and within friendships and families or whatever. It's just that it's more magnified. And that's why like what often brings people to work with me is the concept of a romantic breakdown or a struggle in a romantic relationship um, or just like a breakup uh, will be evident in their relationship to food, their relationship mm. to their bodies, their relationship to friends, you know, so it's, I sort of see it as like how we connect to ourselves is and how much we're open to being honest with ourselves and our relationship to ourselves is reflective in all these other relationships. Mm. That's good. So, so, you know, this, this podcast and organization is, is pretty geared towards men and, you know, you work with men and women, but you, you do have, from my understanding, you, you have worked a lot with women and I, I think it's interesting and I think it would be good to unpack some of the lessons that you've learned in, in working with couples, working with women mm. and giving men some insight into where, maybe where they might be missing the mark. So I think for a lot of guys, you know, they're, they're trying to connect with a woman and maybe they're failing, maybe they feel socially awkward. So let's just start in the beginning phases and sort of work our way through the proverbial uh, time chart or sort of like chronological order of intimacy, right? Mm -hmm. So the very beginning when a guy meets a, a, a woman, where did, where does he often go wrong in connecting with her? What I can speak, you know, like from my personal experience and then, you know, reflecting on observing yeah. all my male friends and all the people I work with is we often don't even connect, mm. you know, in that we don't approach women. And when you talk to women, it's so crazy because you'll ask them like, how many of you would like to be approached more? almost all of them say, yeah. Hmm. And I think in a lot of ways we like fear that rejection and we fear, you know, like anyone does. And so we don't even bother to initiate conversation or to connect. You know, what we might do is we'll go take a workshop on how to pick up women, hmm. right? We'll go to like pickup artists type of thing. And we'll like, we'll like learn the, the tricks of the trade sort of say. Yeah. And, and what most of those things are teaching us is really this, how to how to be someone of high self-worth, mm. how to pretend to be someone of high self-worth. So the behaviors that in general are conveyed is like, I'm not going to text her back at this amount of time because that'll mean it looks like I'm busy doing other things. Right, right. Um, and so what we do is we create the skill set, but over long term, it just comes out that we don't have a high level of confidence. Mm. And so we pretend to be something we're not instead of just being ourselves and learning how to communicate from that space, which naturally creates this much more feeling of self-worth when you're operating from a space of just naturally being yourself. Hmm. Um, but I, you know, I do think that conversation is a skill set. So, so let's just say that somebody's listening to this podcast, 
you know, and they are a little bit more introvert. They're a little bit more, they feel socially awkward. They feel a little bit uncomfortable with, with approaching somebody that they're interested in besides going to do the sort of classic, um, you know, pickup workshop or something like that. <laughs> yeah. What, what would you recommend? Because I, like what I've seen people do, and we have a mutual friend that did this was they did, uh, 30 days of rejection therapy, Yeah, yeah right. Where right. he just, he just like put himself out there over and over and over again. And got himself into the uncomfortable situations. And so when he identified somebody that he was interested in and somebody that he would, could be potentially attracted to, normally he would just avoid that. Yeah. But he just put himself out of there in the situation anyway and just went for it and got rejected over and over and over again. And through that process, he started to realize that rejection actually isn't that bad. So outside of a workshop what would you recommend maybe just maybe it's not you know rejection therapy but it's a great um, technique yeah <laughs> it is i mean it's I, you know the advice i would give is along the same lines is just start practicing opening conversations with anybody mm. so if you feel more comfortable opening a conversation with a 75 year old lady in your starbucks line just start just learn that you can create connection and common conversational beginnings over anything mm. like literally like hey i've never been to this coffee shop before what do you recommend oh and it just begins a conversation so you do learn that you know maybe everyone you approach you fear being rejected by but if you never talk to them you never even experience that like what's mm. the worst case scenario that we never get to know them well you already don't get to know them anyways by not choosing by choosing to not approach them mm. so i'd love the idea of rejection therapy where you are actually just practicing putting yourself out there and Really, if you take on the idea that if someone doesn't say yes to a date with you or doesn't, you never know what's going on in their life. And it doesn't, we always make it mean about our self-worth that I'm not lovable, I'm not attractive, I'm not enough. But it's not, it doesn't have to be about that. It can just literally be that they don't want to go out with us. And I think one of the most freeing things I ever learned was that I'm not for everybody. Mm. And that's just like when I accepted that. Then when someone was like, nope, I don't want to go out with you, I was like, I'm not for everybody. There's add her to the list. And it's, only, I mean, it's kind of funny because I think, you know, in my early 20s, I was of the mindset that I had to be for everybody. You Same. know, it was like oh, it was yeah. like this narcissistic space that I had to sort of grow through where it's like there's there, like it was almost like a challenge. If I totally. wasn't for somebody, I had to like all of a sudden it sort of like activated this challenger in me that was like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to conquer this. You know, and, and that, that in itself was unhealthy, but I, I kind of want to circle back to this, you know, we just did a Facebook live earlier today and somebody asked a really great question around the masks that guys will wear to try and attract women. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that or have you, have you experienced it in your own past and your, in yourself? And do you think that that's true for a lot of guys that they'll shift their personal identity or they'll change, um, you know, their strengths and their values and their wants and desires to try and attract the right person? Yeah, I think often we'll, we'll exaggerate our accomplishments or we'll exaggerate our income or, mm. you know, what we believe that women are pursuing or desire. And so, I, yeah, for sure. I mean, I've definitely in warm mass said the things that I knew a woman wanted to hear in order to get with them. Mm. You know, like being able to honor, like it's so easy for me now in hindsight after making so many fucking mistakes, but to like in hindsight now look back and, and be like, wow, the most truest, most beautiful connections I've ever cultivated came from just honestly being myself mm. because so much of our time, and this isn't just for men, for p humans just in general, 
we're always in this state of impression management in that we're like, okay, think how much cognitive time and just like resources it takes to always pretend to be something we're not. Like those resources are going into representing ourselves to be a certain way when if we were to just let that mask go or that wall down, I guess, so to speak, we then have so much more cerebral ability to be able to be present. Mm. And that presence alone, I mean, you and I have talked about this before offline that like presence is what people want, but it's what women want is Mm. our presence is us being there, you know, and it's so easy. And I think we're all guilty of it. Like I was, you and I talked about this study before that if your phone is sitting face up on a table or even face down, that we, in studies, it's shown that we're not even as willing to be as vulnerable. Mm. And so just because there might be this world that's out there, that's reaching to us. And when I read that study, I was like, shit, like I need to leave it at home or put it in a, you know, a basket on a table. Like when people do that, or just like leave it, leave it in your jacket pocket when you're out for dinner. I think, I think you're, you're touching on something really important. So, uh, so let's shift gears into presence, mm-hmm. you know, presence as a man, whether, whether you are trying to attract a woman or, or, you know, if, if you're trying to attract a man, whatever your situation is, presence is one of the most appealing and attractive things that I hear time and time again, especially from women that they're looking for in a man. And I think from what I've seen, a lot of guys struggle to understand what presence actually is. So can you give us your version of what presence is and, and how a man can, how a man can actually cultivate a deeper sense of presence? Yeah, I mean, our minds automatically go to future, right? They go to future or past. They get stuck in past. In being able to, I think a meditation practice, to be honest, was probably the most helpful thing for me. And to be cognizant and aware all the time of my presence in being like, when I'm with my partner or with a friend, being able to be like, am I present right now? Like, if my mind's off into something I have to do or then I'm not really honoring this. And I actually am in that state where I'm observing that thought and bringing myself back, which shit, I would never have been able to do that if I hadn't practiced using like headspace or, Mm. you know, I started meditating a long time before headspace, but it is, and I'm by no means like a freaking monk. I, my mind travels and it's just keeping myself accountable to that. So I think Mm. for me, presence is just being existing right here, right now. And, like my phone's off over here and I'm not, I want to be here because this is the conversation that matters. And I, I don't really know if there's something more poetic or eloquent to describe that. I don't know. How would you? No, I think that, I think that's great. What about the awareness of like the body? Cause I, I hear a lot of guys, you know, they, they get the feedback from women in their lives they get the feedback from their friends in their life that they aren't very present and they don't really know how to sort of quote unquote fix that. What I see from a lot of men is that they're constantly living in their head, right? They're mm. constantly in this cerebral space of always thinking, you know, and the, the gears are always turning and they don't know how to drop into their body. You know, they don't know how to quiet their mind. They don't know how to drop in their body. And I feel like that's one of the most present things, you know, like when, uh, when, when a man is, is described as grounded, mm-hmm. that is something that leads to presence, but mental chatter and and mental sort of uh loudness right when it's just like really loud in in our heads how can we be present for the people we can't hear them so i I think that physicality and being very present in your body is is really important is that something that you think plays into it 
Yeah, I mean, I love that um, that idea because really when I think about what gets us out of our head is that no longer needing to impression manage mm. and just be ourselves. So I think one of the keys is authenticity. You know, we use that word so much, but it really is about if you're just being your authentic self, then you don't have to be in your head. And I think the other thing, too, that I certainly fell into this trap a lot was when a woman would talk to me about something that was going on for her day, I would want to go into fix help mode and then I'm in my head. Mm. And most of the time, God, when I learned to say, do you want me to listen or do you want me to help? Fuck, that saved me so much cerebral power because they'd be like, I just want you to listen. And I'm like, okay. Mm. And then I'm out of my head from trying to solution orient and be here and to be in my body. And I, I mean, I would imagine, I don't know for you, but like to actually be in my body would be to, from that conscious awareness space to be able to breathe into it like we're meditating, you know, to mm. be present. But then it's kind of like this thought, well, what happens if I go to that? Then am I not present anymore, you know? Yeah. Then am I actually really present? But ask questions that that are asking about how someone, like, ask women how they feel, what's going on for them. Questions mm. like, what was the best part of your day? What's your greatest challenge right now? How can I be a better partner? Like, women want emotional connection. Mm -hmm. And being able to ask questions like, you know, what kind of partner have I been? How can I love you better? I mean, like, those types of questions I fucking never asked when I was 20. Yeah. I had no interest, you know? Because then that means that I wasn't doing a great job, and egoically I was probably more worried that I wasn't being a great partner, and that reflected on my self-worth, as opposed to now seeing it as this opportunity to show up as a better man, as a better partner, as a better friend, as a better... Which, again, it's always a learning process. It's not like what my partner needs needed from me three months ago is the same as what she might need from me today. So I think it's this ongoing conversation that both people have um, to cultivate presence and to be the type of partner they need now, mm. which I think is so different than when you first started dating. Yeah, that's good. Um, tell me a little bit about one of your biggest personal challenges within relationships. Like I, I know a little bit about your past and, um, you know, leading up to the engagement and and everything that sort of unfolded there. I'm curious as to one of the biggest challenges that you've had to face personally to overcome in the context of relationships and what it taught you about love and intimacy. Um, man, I would say the greatest challenge I've had up till now, because I might uncover some shit next week. Like, <laughs> I wish I had said that. Um, has been receiving love. Mm. You know, for me, um, relationship anyone who saw my man talks video knows that there was a <laughs> fucking Anthony. There was a time when I had a relationship breakdown that was really painful. Like when I look back, I see that I was probably depressed for like a year after that relationship ended when I was 20. And I made that relationship ending where she had started to date someone else. And that was really painful for me and how the relationship ended. And I didn't have great boundaries. I didn't stand up for myself. And um, you know, that made me make it mean for me, the relationship ending meant for me that I wasn't lovable and that I wasn't enough and that she didn't choose me because of me and that her ultimately that if I let someone love me, it'll mean devastation. It'll mean pain. Mm. And it would be years later that I would uncover this truth. Like it was like 13 years later or 14. I don't even know. I wrote an article about it called Maybe Life Isn't About Getting Money and Bitches. 
And, <laughs> what a great title. Right? That, that must have got some traction. It's like, should and I listen comments. to this rap song or read Mark's <laughs> article? Um, it was a really awakening moment for me because I began to see that the people that I was choosing or even how I was showing up in relationship was I was picking people who were unavailable or I was unavailable. So like the moment they wanted something, I'd withdraw. And so when I had this awareness, like, wow, I made that relationship pain mean that I wasn't worthy of love. Hmm. And that if I did actually let someone love me, they would hurt me. And these were the subconscious things that were really driving my choices. And so, you know, I, I really am such a message. Like, I love the message around it's so easy to give love, you know, like we can do nice things for other people and we can take care of other people. And often we'll create relationships and in some way codependencies by needing to help others and take care of them and help them with their problems. And we're always the caretaker and that takes the focus off of us. Mm. And so if people find themselves in these relationships, which I certainly did, not to say that the people always need my help, that wasn't always true. It, it, it's really that where are we not receiving love? You know, like I was working with a client not long ago and, and I, I was like, do you have a hard time with men servicing you? Like taking care of you, going down on you, like that kind of thing. And like for men too, like, do you have a hard time with the focus of receiving? Like most guys are like, I don't have a problem getting a blowjob. Yeah. <laughs> but where that focus is, is really, that's like such a vulnerable space. Mm. And even sharing what our real intimate needs are in the bedroom is such a magnifying glass. Like some people will feel very safe in the bedroom in short-term connections because they can flee and they can be themselves and then they're safe and they're gone. And other times I think we really struggle in long-term relationships to really vulnerably voice like, hey, move your head to the left or hey, can you tickle my balls? Like whatever <laughs> the thing is that you want. And and being able to ask for what you need, I think it's in, in sexually it's it's very relevant to emotional needs too. Mm -hmm. That being able to say like, this is how I would feel loved by you. Mm. And my God, when my girlfriend bought or wrote me a card one of the first times we hung out, she left a card for me as a surprise on the desk as she left. And when I came back from dropping her off at the airport, I got back to the house and there was this card on the desk. And I'll never forget it because it, I, it hit me so deep in the heart because I was like, whoa, like this girl's showing up, this girl cares. And it meant a lot to me. And then I really saw like all these times I'd been giving acts of service to other people, like taking care of them doing the cards, doing the thoughtful things. Mm. Um, I hadn't really chosen or let anyone do that for me. Mm. And so that was a really healing moment. But then to continue to put myself in the position to be loved was very vulnerable. Yeah. So that was a really long winded fucking answer. That's okay, man. Is, I, I think, I think you touched on some, uh, <clears throat> some pretty great things in there in terms of, you know, being able to receive love, not just from a sexual standpoint, but from an emotional standpoint, you know? And I think a lot of guys, a lot of guys I, I've worked with also communicate struggle with that, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's receiving, you know, love and appreciation and respect from, from their buddies or whether it's, whether it's receiving love and appreciation and respect from their partners, from their intimate partners. 
And, uh, you know, I think that one of the biggest things is that we feel like we need to provide for the other person. And so it often shows up in this space of like, I don't need anything. I'm good. I'm fine. Right? I have no needs. I have, I'm the I have caretaker. no needs. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I think a lot of our masculine validation has been centered around taking care, you know, mm-hmm. like being a yeah. good provider. That's why it's often so challenging to date someone who makes twice as much as you or yeah. who has takes the masculine role. I mean, that's a, that's a challenging role to be in. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an interesting space and, and a lot of guys find themselves in spaces where, you know, because of the modern culture now that is showing up, right. Where you'll, you'll start dating a woman who is very masculine, you know, who's sort of like a get shit done right to the point. Very well, they've direct. been told not to feel. Right. You know, often. So they take the masculine role and men are feeling and men are like, ah, yeah, now what do I, I want to talk. What the fuck is happening here? Yeah, right? Yeah. Like, I'm the one who always wants it's to like, talk. It's like the role reversal. Totally. Um, and, and one thing I just wanted to point out that I noticed showed up for me and shows up for a lot of male clients that I work with was this like part of the moment we're about to achieve or be successful or take that job or take that leap that there is this like fear of not deserving it. Mm. So like... If, if I accept this possibility of success or love, so I'm relationship or work and money is I'll have to let go of the belief that I don't deserve it and I'm not lovable. Right. So like seeing that show up in our workplace too, just to you know, extend that for that, mm-hmm. that subject. It's good. So let's shift a little bit um, and just dive into the conversation of sex and intimacy. So I think this is something that a lot of men are interested in. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on performance-based relationships, performance-based sexuality. What I've started to see quite a bit in in working with guys is a lot of men, especially like younger guys, approach sex from a performance mindset, right? Like I got to perform, I got to be this like sex god, I got to like last for an hour. And most of the time it's like a result of watching way too much pornography and, (laughs) you know, like watching way too much porn and having this sort of disillusioned uh, sense of what sex should be. And the funny thing is, is that the more women that I talk to about this and the more women that I work with, they, they actually aren't looking for performance-based sex. They're looking for connection, Mm -hmm. you know, like they're looking for the emotional connection. And what happens is the, you know, a guy will go into what he perceives to be like, you know, champion mode and he's just like banging away and she's dried up like a desert. Yeah. And she's not connected. So no. she's like, well, this is horrible. But on the other side, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a rock star right now. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to whether you can unpack performance-based sexuality for us and what sort of like stands in the way from men connecting on a more intimate level and being able to like really rock a woman's world. Whew, I know. This is, uh, this, no, is, this is light. No pressure on this. This is, let this me, is light. Let me uh, unpack all of this. Um, okay, from uh, why do we go to the performance-based... I certainly did, man. I remember with my girlfriend in high school, my girlfriend in university... I would like play. I had like the perfect mix CD. Oh, the the yeah. like the Usher soundtrack. The shit, Usher was I had on that. there. You got you wanted album. that. It was on oh, there. that whole album. But I had like a rock. I called it Love Potion Number Nine, <laughs> and I had a rock one, and so it had like um, Mr. Big to be with you and like Extreme More Than Words. Oh man! And then I had an R and B one because man, I love those R and B hits. So 
I I mean, I certainly was there where I would like light candles, rock that shit, you know? Yeah. That's the language I probably used in that moment the yeah, next yeah. day, like, damn. Um, and that was very much centered around the thought that my validity or my, um, my worth as a partner and as a man came from my ability to satisfy mm. my partner um, and to be able to... And I think there but was... physically, right? Like satisfy yeah. physically. I think that's like the big focus that we usually go to. Well, I think there's like a sincere desire there to connect to the woman. Like for me, there was a sincere desire to create a cool space and to like play some sweet ass music. Mm. But to like, at the same time, it was very much like, we're going to knock it out for 45 minutes. And when you talk to your partner and they're like, actually, that's about, you know, 34 minutes too long, or we don't have enough foreplay or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And I think there's an egoic part that when we're young, that we're not, maybe not open to that feedback of like, how can I be a better lover? Cause mm-hmm. I'm already so good. Yeah, yeah. You know, like <laughs> I was born as this passionate <laughs> machine, but even realizing like that every woman is different and every woman's vagina almost needs like a Google Maps, mm. not to the clitoris, but to the, <laughs> to like how it works, how she works and like where her sensitivities are and what part of her body has never been paid attention to. Mm. Like those are usually quite erotic zones because they don't get attention. Um, and so I think the messaging comes from men's purpose and validity, their purpose, maybe not so much, but their like worth comes from their ability to be sexual powerhouses mm. and in a way like evolutionarily that makes a lot of sense like a guy who banged like a champ had more kids and now we're all lineage of that banger right like <laughs> of that fucking champ so in a way that message has been reinforced but it's reinforced by magazines like men's health and um men's fitness and really a lot of the messages were sent other than from man talks are really about our virility yeah and i know that when i went through my heartbreak I turned to that space of getting myself worth from getting women or satisfying them. I'm not even sure that I was that concerned with satisfying them necessarily at that time. But um, so how, I mean, the question then becomes like, how do we let go of that belief? And I think it is coming from this space of what we think is connection. Cause I do think that the underlying intention generally is really kind. And it is to connect with our partners. Hmm. It's like, actually asking our partner what is connection to them in the bedroom. Mm. Like, what do they need? What makes them feel safe? You know, in a lot of ways, um, a, a woman's ability to be intimate, and I'm, I'm speaking for them because they're not here, and this is just based on what I know. I could be totally fucking wrong. But it's it really is feeling that emotional connection and feeling loved mm. and safe. And I think for men, that's true, too. It's just that it's so much more connected to their ability to create lubrication, mm. their ability to, you know, what is that sort of like really poor analogy of like the man's penis is like a thrusting, you know, break down a door machine, but a woman needs to really like soften and allow. Mm. And the man, when I think about that, I'm like, that is the worst analogy and both <laughs> the best analogy at the same time. Cause it makes sense. Like th- there's, we don't need to be forceful. And in a way, it becomes so much easier when there is time spent loving and honoring our partner. And I think, I think there's the interesting distinction is that you can still dominate, right? Yeah. From like, from not necessarily from an aggressive space, but you can dominate as, you know, in your sort of like masculine space, you can still like really own that space 
and simultaneously be connected and and create that uh, create that connection and, and safety and security for your partner so that they can relax, so that they can soften in the space and surrender and like, let go. And, and I seem to hear that a lot mm, from women. True. I hear a lot of that word from, from women oftentimes like, what do you want from a man sexually in the bedroom? And oftentimes she'll go to the space of saying, and again, I'm not a woman. I'm, I'm speaking from, from past experiences and from the women that I've talked to. But she'll often say, I want to feel safe and I want to be able to surrender. Mm. Right. I want to be able to just right. open that door. Right, right. So and, I, and I think that there is a line because I think a lot of guys think, oh, well, I just need, I need to be soft mm. and gentle. And so it goes to the other end of the spectrum where, where they really try and like go to this like gentle sort of like, is that okay? Are you okay? And they, it's like they're walking on eggshells and, and that doesn't create the same situation. It's not, it's not like a safe, assertive energy. And I've definitely taken on that where I sort of like received that message, maybe from feminism. I'm not really sure where it came from. I just know it happened that I was like very concerned about the woman's experience that I wasn't being controlling or assertive. Mm. And I think in a way I ended up taking on this like feminine role. And it's sort of the difference between, you know, like I do think there's a space for like, fucking and banging and making love and all mm -hmm. those different I mean sex is such a range of things and it's not just penetration you know it's it's such a range of things but I think even more importantly it is that um, when we're actually communicating with the woman in that space is being able to I guess um, make love to her instead of have us be made love to mm -hmm. you know like mm -hmm. It's almost like we take on that role of making the, the love, not because if they're making love to you, that is a very different. I don't know. Is that my ego? That's like I don't want to make love to. <laughs> no, me. but I think I think. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. one of the one of the quotes that came to mind um, was "sex is psychological first and physical second. Hmm. You know, and it's the idea that we create the connection first and foremost, and out of that connection comes great sex. You know, and if you can set it up first and foremost to connect with, connect with your partner and, you know, maybe not even necessarily like have the conversations first and foremost. Like if you've started having sex with your partner or if you've been together with your partner for a long time, starting to ask questions is going to be good. But if it's just like the first couple of times, it might not be like, so, you know, we're going to have sex. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what do you want for this first time? Yeah, yeah. Like that, that might not. It's almost like you got to knock out the two bad ones. Yeah. Or, the one bad one. <laughs> or, or you're, you're fortunate enough. And the first one's just like, yeah, exactly. you know, great. But, um, so, so how do we shift? How do, how do the guys listen to this shift and, and start to really connect with their partner's from an emotional and psychological space, you know, you, you touched on the performance side of things. You touched on how to sort of let go and move past that performance mindset of like, I just need to, to bang and be a champion. Um, so you've talked about those things, but how do we connect with our partners and actually build that bridge? Right. Cause I like to say that men want to connect physically and women want to connect emotionally mm. the majority of times, right? Yeah, Not yeah. always, but in general, that's how it usually goes. So, what can guys that are listening to this podcast do in order to create that space that you're talking about? Well, I think it's important to see the distinction between sex being an act and sex being an experience. You mm -hmm. know, like you were saying, it's psychological before it's uh, physical. Yeah. And 
I think, you know, I was, I think the quote is from uh, John Gottman, but it's that sex begins, foreplay begins far before foreplay begins. Mm, yes. In that when, like, there's actually some really interesting research that shows that when men um, do stuff around the house and take care of their partner in that sense, they, those men have better sex lives. Certain certain activities, right? Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, showed, yeah. it, showed, it showed that like certain activities, the but more was, masculine ones, right? Yeah. But like the more, mowing the lawn, yeah, yeah, yeah. The garbage out. yeah. Those those ones that knitting yeah. a blanket did not increase the amount of sex <laughs> that people were having. We're, Which actually, I mean, it still sort of points to this irony of like gender role, right? Like totally. take out the garbage. It shows you evolutionarily how many programs we still have operating. Yep. Um, but I, I mean, I really do think that that's the important part. Is like. To, to take the transition of our mindset requires actually being open to looking at things differently in saying like, I'm going to make sure that I'm not just trying to connect physically because you were saying that, you know, women tend to want to connect emotionally and men tend to want to connect physically. And in a way, a man will feel loved and connected to his partner because they're being intimate and the woman will feel loved and connected to their partner because they're being heard. Yeah. And Man, this is a hard part. It's a very conflicting, challenging part because if a man's not having sex in a relationship, he often won't feel loved. Mm. But the partner's going like, talk to me and get emotionally connect to me. And who goes first? Yeah. Right? Like, who I, goes first? And I don't... I always like to say, like, be the first domino. You know? Totally. Like, I, and I think I can't stress this you enough. You can't lose no. taking the first leap off the cliff. Yes. And, and especially in relationships when if you're with... Like we're just taking, you know, strict, we're talking predominantly about heterosexual yeah. relationships in here, but I think it's very applicable for all types of relationships. So I think we can just say like, if, when you're looking at relationship dynamics between same sex versus heterosexual, they'll still take on a feminine masculine role. Yes. And so just, let's just take all of anything that's f feminine related can still be related so just like, so that we're not putting up walls to the information, mm -hmm. just like, let's take them as energies rather than genders. Yep. Maybe that's easier. Yep. Um, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, I think in, in that space where the individual who is identifying more as in the feminine and they is often looking for the individual more in the masculine. So the, you know, the guy in this case to take the lead in some capacity, Yeah, agreed. you know, in some capacity, and, and it, it doesn't need to be like this massive leadership, but it needs to be a form of leadership within the relationship. And oftentimes, you know, when it comes down to this bridge between the emotional and the physical, what the man can do is, is often connect. Because what I've noticed, and, and I would love to hear your insight on this, is that every single time in my past where I've taken the initiative to connect with my partner emotionally first and foremost it always leads to the physical connection yeah it's never always. failed like always and, yeah. and it's and it's because they feel connected and the more that i talk with men and, and and talk with them about their relationships and the more i talk with women they reaffirm the exact same thing when he connects with me first and foremost from an emotional space it always leads to me feeling more receptive and open from from a physical space um let's shift gears really quick because we've got to wrap up i'm curious as to how you think couples can make sex a priority. Uh, one of the big things that, you know, with this, with this podcast, we have a lot of people that tune in that are the quote unquote high performers that are professionals that have a family that have kids yeah. that, you know, are running their own business and, and sex slowly, you know, moves down the rungs of the ladder in terms of priority. But we've seen that from a research base, sex and intimacy within a relationship is so important 
to keeping that relationship thriving. So how do very busy people continue to make sex a priority? And, and what does that look like from a healthy standpoint? I think recognizing the priority that relationship needs to take. Like if your relationship is not connected and feeling thriving in some sense, that will, even though everything else in your life can be going seemingly well, mm. that will affect your physical health more than the other avenues, generally speaking. Um, how do you make a priority? You know, in the, in the, I have so many friends and even clients too that schedule it in sometimes mm. when they have to. And, you know, like, but they don't feel like they have to. Like, I have a really funny uh, couple that, like, the moment that they have two kids, the moment the kids go down for naps or ones at school or, like, daycare or whatever, they bang. And they're <laughs> like, and we just get it. We just do it. Yeah. And they're like, and it's amazing. And, and I remember she was explaining and she's like, yeah, we have sex, like, two, three times a week. And the other friend of mine was like, three times? Oh, three times a week. You're doing it a lot. You know, like... And, and I think it should be celebrated that they're still taking the initiative. And like you said, if, if we take the initiative, we invite our partner to join us. Mm. And, but often, especially in long-term relationships, there's a lot of built up like resentment in a mm. way, like you say no a lot, or you never have time. And when we take the leap, the other person might go, you're just doing that because, and mm -hmm. it takes the sale, it takes the wind right out of the sails. And so being able to recognize like when someone is trying to connect with us, not to attach to the old times where we weren't experiencing that, I think in long-term relationships that can be, that cycle can just continue. And so it is really about letting down our guard and creating it as a priority. Like if you have great sex and great connection in your relationship, literally your life will thrive. Mm -hmm. You know, like the research shows that Great, loving, fulfilling relationships are, are the greatest predictor of our lifespan. You know, the Harvard study on men talks specifically about that love is it. That's the greatest predictor of heart disease and death. Mm. And, and if we can just know that and honor that, and just because we know that, prioritize it. Mm. Like, there's no skill in life that we fail so often at and don't try to learn than love. But if we were doctors or entrepreneurs or whatever, we would read the books and we'd understand it. And that's why, you know, like we're all part of this, having this conversation. We're the people who are interested in this, but share it. And the more you love, the more it inspires other people and the more it teaches our kids, you know, to connect and to prioritize and to have love. So I don't know what the specific answer is for how do you create more intimacy other than you make it a priority yeah. and you I think stop being worried about being rejected and wrong. You know, not to say that that doesn't exist, but like, don't not do it because, hmm. because then it just ends up being a fulfilling outcome. Yeah, that's very true. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast, Mark. Um, thanks for having me, man. I'm curious. Uh, no, I'm curious. Where can the people learn more about you? If they want to learn more about your work, if they want to learn more about you uh, and what you're up to, where should they go? So on my Instagram and Twitter, I'm at create the love. So feel free to shout out to me if you want to chat. Um, you can email me at connect at markgroves.tv, like television. Um, and that's my website, markgroves.tv. And um, I'm on Facebook too. I have a Facebook page, like everybody, I think. Like everybody. And um, we have an annual conference called Masters of the Universe Summit, which Connor's spoken at. And that is about recognizing our relationship to everything, including ourselves. The idea being self-mastery, but... I really wanted to bring in experts on relationship to health, body, food, other people, ourselves, our businesses. So it sort of like cultivates all the subjects 
Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that that comes up May 6th and 7th. What's the website for that? Motusummit.com. Perfect. M-O-T-U summit.com. Amazing. Well, and it's thanks. in Vancouver. Yep. Boom. There we go. In the lovely city. Yeah. All right, my friend. Well, thanks so much for coming on the Man Talks podcast. Thanks and, a lot for uh, having me, man. Hopefully we'll, we'll see the big things that you're up to in the future. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it.